Welcome to the Midwest Church Planting Project, where we connect you with local church planters to learn about life and leadership here in the passive-aggressive Midwest. I'm your host, Davis Johnson. Only two episodes remain on the first season of the Midwest Church Planting Project, and I'm very excited for both. Today, we sit down with Mark Werner in the land of the Green Bay Packers. I know. Uh, But he also happens to be my father-in-law, so you can imagine I'm on my best behavior. Whenever Mark and I have the chance to get together, there's always something new to be learned or something familiar to be considered with fresh eyes, and today's episode is no different. Because the number of pastors who burn out or forfeit their leadership in ministry is unfortunately remarkable. And as one who was a pastor for more than two decades, Mark is and was no stranger to this reality. And based on his experiences, he now spends the lion's share of his time helping pastors and leaders tend to their inner life with God. One of the tools he he uses is the Enneagram, which you'll hear more about in a bit. And regardless of your thoughts on the tool... Mark's perspective is refreshing as he highlights its advantages and its limitations. So to begin, we'll start with how Mark first got into the work of the ministry. Yeah, in, in, in college, I I, um, I had kind of a, a kind of a second awakening to the things of God. My my first understanding of of what it means to know God in a personal way came. When I was in eighth grade, and as a young man, I went forward when there was a call to come to faith in Christ, and I remember walking forward. But my freshman year in college, uh, there was another one, and that was tied to uh, my father's illness and uh, his eventual death my first year in, in college. And death has a way of causing us to ask the big questions of life. And so me asking the big questions about life were... God, I know you're there, but are you really there? Mm. Can you can you come to me now in this time? Um, and I was more inquisitive of, of wanting to know answers, answers about can we be certain about things like eternal life? Can we be certain about the things that we believe in? And and how do we just get out of everything being just everybody's opinion? And so that was the the marker for me of pursuing that my freshman year that led me to be involved ultimately with a, a, a parachurch ministry on a college campus and in which I began to, along with somebody, study the Word and read the Word for myself and to uh, begin to talk about that with others. So that was my beginnings. And uh, when I graduated from college, I, I thought, well, what is it that I want to want to do with my life? And mm-hmm. I thought, if if this is the greatest thing for me in this world, n- knowing Jesus, I want to give that away. I want to give that to others as well. And so I thought there was nothing higher that I could do than to take up that and and talk about Jesus with people. So I enjoyed uh, uh, at the time Campus Crusade for Christ, but it was crew. Uh, and was on staff with crew for 11 years. And then from that time, I started sensing that I, I wanted to be in um, the local church. Uh, were, I was fascinated with the idea of people coming into the world, growing, getting married, 
you know, going through difficulties of illness and uh, even realities of, of loss and death. That's what I wanted to be a part of. And so I left the college ministry to now work in uh, a local church and and was a part of that building of community for 21 years. And since then, what mm-hmm. has what have you been up to? Yeah, and so the, over the last 4 years, uh, I had I had sensed whether whether you call it a calling or uh, a sense of being more in step with uh, the things that m- mark who you are. But my uh, desire began to say um began to reflect more uh, uh, being with pastors and with clergy and those in ministry, uh, tending to that that place that is with them, with God. Hmm. And so uh, four years ago, I started a a nonprofit that just seeks to support pastors and clergy uh, in in tending to their interior life with God. That nonprofit is called Grace Bridge Alliance, and we have a simple little goal of of talking about sustaining our faithfulness for a lifetime, and ultimately understanding ministry in terms of sustaining faithfulness through all the changing seasons of life and changing seasons of ministry that we go through. Very cool. What have been a few observations that you've made so far while working with leaders and pastors in ministry who have been at it for a while? I think in the normal course of spiritual development and growing and experiencing our transformation, we hit times of of, of great growth and times where we plateau and plateau. And then there's also times where we feel like we're in a valley, and those can be often very confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't feel like necessarily that we've changed, but we we are changing. And some of the things that brought us to be present to God that worked in our 20s, all of a sudden now doesn't bring us to the same place anymore. And we wonder, what does that mean? Am I losing faith? Am I losing something central to the Christian life? And yet it's very normal. Hmm. And so part of what I do is I accompany pastors uh, when many of them are in that place uh, what St. John of the Cross called a, a, a dark night of the soul, where the very things that they have relied upon to walk with God, all of a sudden there seems to be uh, a distance from experiencing God. And they want to know, how do I get back to that intimacy that I knew years ago? Uh, and that's a hard thing for those who are in leadership to both teach or even to express in the context sometimes of church is is it safe to talk about how much I'm doubting right now because we don't preach doubt we preach we want to preach truth and so to preach doubt feels like we're creating something that could be dangerous for the congregation so as much as clergy want to talk about their their uncertainties and even sometimes the very distance they feel from god and sometimes that can last more than a Sunday. It can be for months and for some of us for over years, uh, accompanying them in the ministry uh, through those times and recognizing what God is doing is part of what tending to the interior life with God is about. Wow. And if some of the things that you're saying are resonating right now with some of our listeners, can they just find you on Google with Gracebridge Alliance? or how Yeah, you can, you know, www.gracebridgealliance.org. 
Well, that's where we are. Easy enough. I like it. I, I've personally benefited a lot from hearing you describe a lot of mm. these things. But one thing in particular that recently you and I have been discussing is this Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the Enneagram is making the rounds, it seems like, in mm-hmm. different pockets of the mm-hmm. Christian communities. Regardless of denomination, people are mm-hmm. super interested mm-hmm. in this personality assessment. So for starters, tell, tell me a little bit how you got involved with the Enneagram and now you've become a coach of it. Yeah, I think there's... there's uh Again, in what I perceive as the the normal Christian life, where we understand there is a, a a sense of both walking with God and being a person, a self who walks with God, and and wanting to see that self continue to grow and continue to change. Um, but that understanding of self. Uh, is is I think the key here? Do do we understand the self that we are? And for me, uh, I was first exposed to the Enneagram through the the, the teaching of, of Ruth Haley Barton and the Transforming Community, a Transforming Center. That was my first exposure to it. But we were exposed to it in terms of is how do we continue this transformation process with God of being changed into the likeness of Christ. Uh, when we've walked with Christ for years and we're, we're stagnant. And so she introduced the Enneagram to this group of clergy that I was with. Uh, and I've been a student of it ever since. But I want to go back to that idea of understanding ourselves, because I think all of us have a desire to know more of who we are. But as, a, as, a, as Christians, we understand that there's, there's, there's a lot of language in Scripture that talk about the self. In fact, uh, Jesus, in calling people to follow him, says, if anybody would like to follow me, let him deny himself uh, and come after me, follow me, deny himself. And I was curious about that idea of he calls us to deny self. So if we don't know ourselves, then I don't think we really understand the depths of what Denying or dying to self means. In the same way, when Jesus says, I have been given authority by my Father to both lay down my life and to take it up again. If we don't know our life, if we don't know ourself, what are we really laying down? And so when the more we know of ourselves and the more we understand it's ourselves as a life, I think those 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 words and those commands in Scripture grow richer and and more powerful to us. So that growing in self awareness, so that we can learn to both deny it in following Christ, but also what it means to both lay it down and to take it up again, all in obedience. For me, is why the Enneagram has been really valuable. It's helped me to have handles to talk about the self that I am and the self that I'm becoming. That's really helpful. So for, for those who are not familiar with it or for those who, like me, uh, have taken the test and they've mm-hmm. even given some results and they mm-hmm. see their number and their mm-hmm. wings, but mm-hmm. they don't really know what to do with it beyond reading the description and nodding, tell us a little bit practically. How, how does the Enneagram work and what is it trying to assess? Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of models that are out there that help us understand 
personality. And a lot of times when we, when we talk about personality of the self, we, we see it as something that is a, a, a little bit firm and almost static. It, it's, 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 we, we grow, but we have this personality forever. What the Enneagram, I think, says is that our personality is not static, that it actually is changing. And it, it, it changes and grows. And the beauty of the diagram of the Enneagram is that it says our identity is not singular. It actually reflects the fullness of God's image. And so on the Enneagram, the any means uh, the word any is, is Greek for nine. It's either nine points or nine lines. And it says that there are nine points or lines that reflect the what is what we understand to be the moral nature of God in his eminence. When God comes near, how does God act, so to speak? And so those points on the Enneagram reflect moral uh, virtues. And all of us, as we learn to go through life and navigate life, we learn to identify with a point, and then we over-identify it. And we over-identify with that point to the exclusion of the fullness of all nine points on the Enneagram. And so the Enneagram helps us to see that you are more than your point. In fact, you're vastly more than your point. You reflect the fullness of the image of God as being his image bearer in this world. So now if we've been given a number, how do we go about interpreting what that means? Yeah. Yeah, and and there's a, there's a lot of discussion on that. That's a, how are we how are we to interpret it? Our desire is we we want to know who we are and and we want to say this is how I present myself to the world. So the high side of the enneagram says there's a there's a, a moral virtue that you identify with whether it's love or peace or joy and you identify with it. And then you over-identify with it. But what the Enneagram helps us to see is that there is kind of an underside uh, to our virtue that we identify with. And, and, and it's often a tied to a corresponding vice. And the Enneagram, because it helps us to see our vice as well as our virtue, it gives us something to both point at but it also helps us to see where we're struggling can be an incredible tool to help us to grow. And uh, as I said, so each, each virtue that's on the Enneagram has a corresponding vice. And looking at that vice is, is often the most challenging part because we, we want to believe things that are, that are good about us and about positive about us. Yet the reality is all of us have uh, vices that are associated with our persona as well. And so as you learn to, to, to see those and have a handle for talking about those, it, it, you, you lose some of the, the, the hypercriticalism or hypersensitivity we have to, to, being, to, to talking about our things that are sinful or our, our vices. It allows us to talk the, about them in a non-judgmental way because we are seeing them as part of that growth pattern that God has outlined for us in terms of becoming like him. 
as I look at personality assessments, the results are typically, here are your strengths, Mm -hmm. be more awesome in them. And what I like about the Enneagram is what you're describing, that there's kind of the shadowy side that they bring to light for you that says you you are good in these areas, but you tend to drift also to the shadowy side of that strength Mm -hmm. when stresses are high. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking of of uh, a few young leaders who might tune into this podcast and maybe they just took the Enneagram or hearing you describe it. They're now curious about it. So they're going to pay the $10 to take the test mm-hmm. and they're given a number and they're given a number with a wing mm-hmm. and they're going to go out there and they're going to f- find someone who is going to describe to them what this means. But how might someone grab those handles that you mm-hmm. mentioned so that they can interpret their, their whole self as you described? Yeah. Well, it is a process and, 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 and it's, it's not a, 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 a quick thing we move through. So this understanding of self, becoming aware of both those things that mark us uh, in terms of our virtues as well as those things that are less desirable about, about us and how we tend to those takes time. So that's the first thing is there is a gentleness and there's a patience with yourself as you are seeing these things and recognizing them in your life and how you're, you're, you're interacting with others. But what I would tell you about the Enneagram is uh, the Enneagram helps us to see not only that we are a point, but it helps us to identify some more core things about us, things that are more central to us that are under the surface. And and so they identify three. And so within the Enneagram, uh, it says we all experience in our lives times of anger and disappointment, or we all experience in our lives times of, of shame and anxiety, or we all experience in our lives times of fear. Now, if you look at the model of the Enneagram, it describes how the 8, 9, and the 1 really are in that triad of numbers that uh, misunderstand or least understand anger. And then the 2, 3, and the 4 least understand both shame and anxiety. And the 5, 6, and 7 least understood emotion is, is fear. So a huge element to growing within that model of what is the Enneagram is beginning to recognize that underneath me, I feel all those things, but the one that I least understand is, is corresponds to that uh, emotion that I mentioned, one of those three emotions, anger, shame, or fear. So the more you begin to allow yourself to be aware of that in you and see it in your life, the more you begin to go, oh, this is how I have coped or this is how I have dealt with this emotion in my life. So uh, in in my life, I'm a, I'm a six on the Enneagram, which is the loyalist. And the loyalist is in that triad, five, six, and seven, who uh, experience a great deal of fear. Now, how they cope with fear is really differently from each other, the five, six, and the seven. But for the six, what we often do is we fixate on a fear and we enter situations then and we see how situations often can go bad. 
In fact, we not only see how they can go bad, we can often go to the worst case scenario really fast. And that has been a marker of my whole life. When I'm in discussion with people and they share ideas, as a six, I can go, oh, that's a great idea. Let me tell you how it's going to go bad. Let me show you how it's going to kind of go wrong. And so another name for the six besides the loyalist or the faithful one is that they're the devil's advocate. They can see how things can go bad. They can be the one who is really skeptical of ideas because they see how they potentially can go bad. Seeing that is tied to fear. So a six, a five, six, and seven are wanting to see the world in a way that makes it safe. All right. The six sees how bad it can potentially go in order that he can cover all of his bases so that he feels safe. And the world and the future is not so uncertain because I saw it coming. And that's one of the the, the deeper movements into the Enneagram is to say, did I do I see fear in my life? And if you're an eight, nine, or one, you're doing the same thing with anger. Where do I see anger in my life? When I experience disappointment, what do I do with it? In the same way with the two, three, and four, when I'm experiencing anxiety, what am I doing with it? And being curious that with that. Within Grace Bridge Alliance, we, we often, when I accompany a pastor or a person in ministry, we talk about being present with God with those things that mark how we're feeling and asking God, God, what's that about? That anxiety that I'm experiencing, that sense of fear, or that I'm anger, angry. And what's that about, God? Now, when you understand that, now I want to share with you that I think the, the three things that, are, that mark, I think, one of the beautiful things about the Enneagram is it says when we talk about being human, a human being, all right, we understand that we have three centers for our intelligence. Now, you go, well, what does that mean? How can you have three centers? Isn't there just one center? And, and what the Enneagram says is we actually have three, and, 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 and they describe it this way, that we have a feeling center, we have a thinking center, and we have a doing or acting center. And when you start thinking about your life and how you live life, you think of it in terms of how do I feel, how do I think, how do I think about how I feel, and then what do I do? So an exercise for me oftentimes is, is asking pastors just to tell me right now in the moment, what are you feeling? And, and, and we're, we're not always accustomed to, to answer that question. You know, what am I feeling? Some of us can answer it quicker than others. Most of us goes to a place of thinking. But our being is tied to understanding that we are feeling people, we are thinking people, and we are doing people. But again, what the Enneagram says, based upon your number, is you identify with one of those intelligences more to the exclusion of the others. So using the model then, the two, three, and the four are in the feeling center. Their attention is towards what am I feeling and what others are feeling. And they learn to navigate life based upon that, what I'm feeling and what others are feeling. The five, four, five, and six, I'm sorry, five, six, and seven 
are in the thinking or the head triad. And they begin to think of the world in terms of sequences of logic, uh, of processing internally in the mind, figuring things out. And then the eight, nine, and one are in that doing triad. The, 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 the body triad is also called or the gut triad. And, and what eight, nines, and ones are most concerned about is what do we do? All right. Now, why that's important is when you have an experience of feeling, you become curious that with God and say, God, what is that about? You begin to say, how am I thinking about that feeling that I'm having? And then in light of thinking about it, what do I find myself doing? The Enneagram says that all of us go through that feeling-thinking process. We're not always aware of what we're feeling. We're not always aware of what we're fully thinking or doing. But we go through that process, but we develop patterns. And those patterns sometimes mark our coping mechanisms, our defaults, our compulsions. And when we do that without recognizing them, then we get stuck in this pattern response rather being in that place of going sensitive to this work of the Spirit that is calling us to be within God and with God in this moment and not just in our patterned response. So it seems like there exists a lot of ways to interpret all the data uh, and make sense of the numbers that we've been given from this personality assessment. So how then do we go about actually interpreting the information that's before us, uh, who do we turn to, especially if we don't have uh, a father-in-law on speed dial who understands these things? Oh, great, great question. And it is. And the reason why it's a great question is because we, 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 we learn to practice both our vices and our virtues always in the community of people. All right. Rarely do we practice our vices and virtues in solitude. So we recognize that the expression of virtue is is with people. The expression of vices is often with people. So growth is always going to be tied to being in relationship with others where these things are being talked about. All right. Uh, so when you begin to recognize that uh, that each of the any types, the nine types have certain vices, when you begin to see that in yourself, to be with others, to talk about that. All right. In a way that is not with judgment, but part of the journey, part of the journey of our becoming like the one we follow, Jesus. And so for me, how do we grow is we we read about our numbers. We take time and we're we're, we're patient with ourselves as we are learning more about who we are. And we're in dialogue with others in a way that reflects honesty and transparency, rather than that place of either hiding or showing only some of our cards. Because if I show the whole thing, maybe you couldn't hold that. Mm. And so the Enneagram teaches us we're all in process, we're all becoming, and the beauty is that our Savior not only sees us and loves us as we are, he sees us in terms of who we are becoming, and he delights in that. So to share in that process with others says, I can hold you right now where you are at. And like our Savior, I see this beautiful process of becoming that you are on, and I'm going to be in journey with you on that. 
So I'm thinking of those out there who might have some pushback towards the Enneagram. Uh, they're likely the fact finder types, and they're mm-hmm. likely a number five on yep. the Enneagram mm-hmm. is the reality, uh, mm-hmm. which is tied to the fear yeah. um, that they experience in that emotion camp. Uh, but I'm sure you have encountered some that have pushed back on the idea of using mm-hmm. Enneagram as a helpful spiritual tool. And I'm curious how you've thought through that or uh, yeah. what critical feedback you've received as you've offered this to others. Yeah. I think, you know, to be quite honest, the things that mark contribution to this world, we celebrate. So the advancements and contributions in science and in psychology and medicine and economic theory, all those things that mark contribution, we celebrate. And so the Enneagram is just one of the tools that are out there that help us to see ourselves with a little more clarity, with a little bit more handles and and can help us. But it just contributes. It's it's not the end all be all, but it's something that I have found personally incredibly value to begin to understand both my stuck patterns in life as well as there are avenues for how we grow. And so when now when you explore the Enneagram, not only you're now seeing your number, you're seeing how the lines work in relation to your number. And then when you move towards another number, how the lines and the wings of that number are also equally accessible to you. So in the fullest sense of the word, you are not your number. You are the full image of God. And when you begin to take steps towards those lines and where they're pointing, you begin to experience a different kind of growth than the default pattern that you've learned to make life work with. Hmm. So you mentioned under stress, all the numbers move towards a certain place when they're under stress or when they're under safety and security, they move to another number. And and that's really great to be able to observe that. Hey, I'm stressed. And, you know, I find myself going to this, this absolute sense of right and wrong when, I, when I'm feeling most stressed. I want to have a sense of certainty on something. And uh, the, the beauty, again, of the Enneagram says we, we have a, a number we identify with. And as we identify that, we often think that that's the only way that people think in the world is the way that we do. And so the reality is people think very differently, that it isn't a matter of always this binary of the way I do it or wrong, (laughs) that there are lots of other ways. And as you step into those other numbers, you begin to realize, oh, to look at the world from a different perspective is actually part of my growth. Than, than what I've just come to rely upon. Really helpful stuff. Uh, mm. Very helpful. Thank you for, for being here. I'm, I'm curious if you would be willing to offer just a final word of encouragement to younger pastors or even yeah. experienced pastors who listen to this. You're a guy who has a lot of ministry experience, and mm-hmm. now you work specifically with leaders, mm-hmm. helping them rest, helping them understand themselves mm-hmm. and how to relate to God. So do you have any? Yeah. Well, in my own life, I... There is a, a, a gentleness that I think that goes with the process of growing. And so I like to say to, to younger pastors is be gentle with yourself as you are growing. Because, uh, again, our, our, our Lord sees you right now where you are, and that's what he loves. And he's provided everything for you in terms of your becoming. Well, there you have it, folks. That wraps up another episode of the Midwest Church Planting Project. 
We want to give a special thanks and shout out to Hope Hymns. These guys are incredible. It's what you're hearing right now in your speakers and at the beginning of the episode. They they take old, old hymns and they slap some new melodies on them and make them sound fantastic. You can find them on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere else you get your music. Hey, be sure to tune in the week after next for the very last episode of the first season of the Midwest Church Planning Project where we sit down with my boss and pastor, Steve Treichler, the Yoda of church planning. We talk about leadership development, planning churches, and preaching the gospel. You won't want to miss it, so we'll look forward to to seeing you then.